They were envious of Christ. They were envious that he was beginning to gain followers, even though he wasn't one of them. They were envious that people loved him and followed him in a way that they weren't able to replicate. The sin of envy is something I don't think we spend enough time thinking about and reflecting on whether we fall into it or not. St. John Chrysostom says that it's obvious for us that when someone, for example, commits fornication, they are in need of repentance to enter the church and take communion. But he says that those of us who envy are actually even more in need of repentance before being able to be reconciled again with Christ. Often we have certain sins that unfortunately we become kind of indifferent to. We feel like they're a part of our world, part of sort of the times that we live in, and we don't give them much thought altogether. But if we're to spend time thinking about how evil envy is, we could easy, more easily fight against it and push away from it when it comes after us. We need to learn to feel and to repent of the sin of envy. Because most definitely it is a terrible sin. All of us know sort of on an intellectual level that envy is an evil thing. But we don't necessarily put it on the same level as maybe adultery or murder. You know, think about your own lives. When did you condemn yourself bitterly for envying someone? When did you beg God concerning this particular weakness that He would be merciful to you because of it? I think it's safe to assume that many of us, we think to ourselves, if I go to church, I pay my tithes, I take communion, it's not the worst thing in the world if I have a little bit of envy. If there's somebody in my life that I'm envious of. I hope this morning that we can highlight just how bad and dangerous a sin envy is so that we can work together as a church to rid it from our souls. Think about the Old Testament examples of envy. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam. Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to God. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's sacrifice was rejected. When Cain was envious and jealous of his brother, he murdered his brother. Think about Esau. When Jacob stole his birthright, he became envious of the favor and the fortune that was given to him, and he plotted to kill his brother. How did Joseph, Jacob's son, get sold into slavery in Egypt? His brothers were envious of him, that he was their father's favorite, and so they betrayed him, and they lied to their father, and they were ready even to kill him. It's not just spiritually weak people or people that are far from God that can fall into the sin of envy. In the book of Numbers, chapter 12, it tells us of some of the most spiritual people who fell into envy. You're familiar, of course, when the people were coming out of Egypt, who was leading them? Moses. But actually it wasn't just Moses. Moses and Aaron and Miriam, his siblings, his brother and sister. They were like sort of like a team sent by God to help the nation of Israel. And everybody in Israel knew that these were God's chosen servants, but that Moses was the leader. Miriam, of course, was a leader and a prophetess, and Aaron was the high priest and spiritual leader of the nation. But when we read in chapter 12 of the book of Numbers, we see Miriam and Aaron attacking Moses. But look, why did they attack Moses? It says, because he married a Cushite woman. Very interesting to see the interaction because it teaches us about the sin of envy. Verse 1 says that Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married. But then all of a sudden look at verse 2. They said, 
does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does He not also speak through us? So how do they begin? They begin with a personal attack on Moses' life. But what really was their issue? Are they upset about their new sister-in-law? No. They're envious that Moses is the face of the leadership and the head. How often do we do the exact same thing? There is someone in our lives that we envy, and we try by all means to tear them down. We are unwilling to admit the real reason behind our attacks. We disguise our attacks like Moses, like Miriam and Aaron did. We disguise our attacks like the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, you know, we don't envy Christ. We're just zealous for the law, and He's breaking the law. How did God deal with Aaron and Miriam? Actually, very, very harshly. The next couple of verses says, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out, then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, he's now about to tell Aaron and Miriam all the good things about Moses so that they know. I, the Lord, might make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then we see the punishment that our Lord gives to Aaron and Miriam. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron toward, turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed, when he comes out of his mother's womb. So if you take time to think about it, when we fall into the sin of envy, our intent is to injure the person that we are envious of. But the only person we end up hurting is ourselves. Who suffered more? Abel, who was killed and united with God, or Cain, who lived in shame and as a refugee for the rest of his life? Who was hurt worse? Joseph, who was sold into slavery and became second to Pharaoh, or his brothers, who had to endure famine and beg for food in a foreign land? The more that we envy, the more that we obtain or we give a greater blessing for the person who is the object of our envy. Think about the story in the book of Numbers that we just read. What happened? Verse 2 says something very important. It says, The Lord heard it. There is a God who sees and hears these things, and when He sees a person injured and attacked who does not do any injury, He exalts him even more and makes him even more glorious while He punishes us for being envious. You see the big paragraph of that the Lord said to, about Moses, this is my servant, this is the person I speak to face to face, not like I speak to everybody else. God tells us in Proverbs, don't gloat when your enemy falls, and don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see, be displeased, and turn his wrath away from him. So if God will punish us when we are happy about the misfortune of our enemies, how much more will he act against us when we are envious of someone who has not done anything wrong? Christ told us, what benefit is it to you if you love those who love you, even tax collectors and sinners do this? 
So where are we going to stand if we hate someone who does no wrong to us? We should take this sin seriously. We were commanded by God to copy the angels. But when we envy, we are actually copying the devil himself. When we think about it, why do we envy our neighbor? Is it because, for example, we see others getting attention or good words spoken about them? Keep in mind, when you have that feeling, how much evil honor can bring a person if they are not guarded. It can make us fall into pride, into vainglory, into arrogance, and make us even more careless. And besides all of these like really bad things, the problem is that the evil that comes from these things is permanent and can affect my eternity. While the pleasure in the moment of somebody saying good things about me is fleeting. When we think in worldly ways why it's important for people to say good things about me, we say, well, you know, he has a big influence with my friends, or he leads things, or he drives things. He's the one who directs things the way he wants and can inflict pain on a person that offends him and benefits on the person that is sort of in his good graces. These are the type of words and excuses of people who are secured firmly on the earth and do not think about eternity. For the spiritual person, the spiritual man or woman, nothing is able to hurt us. If, for example, I'm fired at work, if it is done justly, I profit because I am reproved and corrected. If it's done unjustly, then the blame falls on someone else. And if I suffer something unjustly and bear it nobly, I gain reward in the eyes of God. So we don't need to aim to be in places of power, of honor, of authority. But we need to aim to be living in virtue and self-denial. Today our Lord Jesus Christ is asking us to examine ourselves. Does the spirit of envy war against us? Do we seek the approval of the multitude? Like I said in the beginning, why were the Pharisees envious? Because the multitudes were going after Christ. These are the same multitudes, by the way, who would later yell, crucify him, crucify him. So the multitude that they so badly wanted the approval of and became the reason for their envy would in fact turn on them in a moment's notice, just like they turned on Christ. It's important for us to remember this. Am I envious of someone because they are approved by others? Should I not seek the approval of God rather than the approval of man? Finally, to sort of conclude our discussion about envy, I want to reflect on the response of our Lord Jesus Christ to this sin. He begins by rebuking them, showing first his Godhead, that he made their secrets public. It says, they actually didn't say to him anything. He said, it says in the passage, knowing their thoughts, and he starts sort of talking. Secondly, by the very act of casting out the devils in ease, he's sort of showing his divinity. The accusation itself is ludicrous, is crazy. As we saw in the example of Moses and his wife, the accusation itself shows or tells a lot more about those who are accusing as opposed to the accused. You know, the, the accusation itself is sort of outrageous. Just like the accusation against Moses was sort of silly. Envy just wants us or makes us want to hurl down any sort of accusation against a person in order to tear them down. But even then, Christ didn't revile them. He defends himself with patience, with forbearance, teaching us how to be meek, 
to our enemies. And even though they say evil things, not to be disturbed, not to be troubled, to calmly give them an answer and an account. This is what he did and he sort of proved himself that it doesn't make sense what they were saying. If you notice, Christ never said to them, how dare you accuse me of this? Right? Just It says in the verse, knowing their thoughts, he told them. He doesn't expose even their wickedness. But he just refutes it and leaves it to the consciences of those who have these thoughts. He doesn't even actually call them out. He just responds to their thoughts and hopes on their own that they can come to realize that their thoughts are incorrect. Just like Moses with his siblings. Moses didn't feel the need to attack them back as he was attacked. In fact, when they were punished by God, when Miriam became leprous, it was Moses who interceded on her behalf to be restored. So we should ask from God two things this morning. That He would show, that He would reveal to us if there is envy in our hearts, and that He would root it out with all seriousness, knowing how much this sin angers God. And secondly, if we are the target of envious behavior, we learn to respond in patience and long-suffering, even to the point of advocating for our enemies. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Blessed.